Imagine for a moment a house that is maintenance-free. To those of you who own a house, that is certainly, certainly an imaginary thing. You don't have to turn around for just a moment and the house you live in needs repair, needs something replaced, something cleaned. To imagine a house that is maintenance-free, I would be the first one to sign up for that, wouldn't you? Now, we translate that concept to a home, a home where a family lives and abides and dwells. It also is not maintenance-free. All too often, marriages get to a point where it's as if they're on cruise control. It's like a vehicle. You turn on the cruise control, and here you go. Hit a plateau. And you feel like there's no more need for work and maintenance. But I would submit to you, whether you've been married six months, 60 years or more, that your marriage will always need maintenance. If you will complete that sentence in your mind just a moment, ponder that sentence and how, how you would complete or fill in the blank there. Allow me to read a verse. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Where is that verse? It sounded familiar. I think someone read that earlier, didn't they? Well, they did. But actually, I'm reading from Ephesians 5, verse 31 pretty much verbatim, taken from Genesis 2. And the reason I read that is because there's a connection, a very strong connection that is made in Ephesians to the beginning. We want to know the designer of marriage and how he intended for marriage to be. And so Ephesians takes that verse and puts it right into a passage that's talking about marriage. Words it exactly the same way. And I think this, again, connects it to us, to the creator, the designer of marriage, so we can understand the importance of that and the fact that it has not changed since the beginning of time. It is a design that, that never changes. So how would you complete that sentence? Husband and wife relationship is the bedrock of what? The community? Our nation, local churches. For our purposes tonight, I want to complete that by saying it's the bedrock of the home. The husband and wife relationship is the bedrock of the home. We're talking about home maintenance tonight. Not the kind that would be done with a hammer and nails, but the kind that would be done and completed and fulfilled by looking at the Word of God that we're going to do tonight. If you want to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're pretty much going to stay in that chapter for the rest of our time tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to qualify my comments tonight by stating to you that are single, 
don't feel like that this lesson is not for you. If you're young, you might be married someday in the future. And if perhaps you're single and you're older, this is still a lesson that you can take, hopefully, and encourage others with it, whether they be young or old, whether they're in your, you're in your family, somebody that you can influence and teach God's design in marriage, what that is all about. Now, if you will, also, let me qualify. I want to certainly don't want to overlook this, but I'm not in any way presenting myself as some authority on marriage. I have a lot to work on myself. So I'm not up here presenting myself as, as an example or as any certain qualities in that area. I want to read to you again, Ephesians 5, verse 31. Let's read our foundation, our, what our, the architect said in the beginning about marriage. Ephesians 5, 31 says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let's understand one thing in the beginning that there's three particular and specific aspects of marriage that must take place. And God said they took place in Genesis 2. They still take place in Ephesians 5. And what are they? First of all, a man must leave his father and mother. There must be the separation, a severing of that relationship. Not entirely, but you understand the idea is that all your needs, whether they be physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, you depended upon your parents for those, and now there's a severing of that particular relationship. Also, he goes on to say that they, they shall cleave. He shall cleave to his wife. Oftentimes, that is referred to as the idea of being glued together. And I like the idea that's suggested by one who said a cementing together, that they're cemented together. And that conveys the idea of the permanence of marriage. Being cemented together, it's quite hard to break, isn't it? And then he goes on to talk about those two shall become one flesh. The latter part of the verse, he says two people. Not just two people, but a man and a woman, a male and a female. God designed the male with certain innate characteristics God designed the female with certain innate characteristics. He hardwired each of them in a certain way and a unique way that when they come together, they are united together to complement one another. That spells C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T. Complement or complete. You might think of the word complete. Complete. Complete one another. They are united in one Physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. All needs that they have, that they each have, they find in one another. So having established that, that law and that precedent that God gave in the beginning, let's go back up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, beginning. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, verse 22. He starts with the wives, ladies first, right? And I don't want you to feel like I'm picking on anybody 
I want to simply dig into the Word of God and dig as deep as we can to understand why God gives us these commandments. Verse 22 is perhaps one of the most avoided topics in today's history in, our, in American culture. Perhaps one of the most avoided topics. Wives, he says, be in subjection or submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. What does that word submit mean or be in subjection? Actually, the, the phrase be in subjection is not technically in the original language, but you'd certainly find it in verse 24 where he's talking about the same context. Verse 24 says, but as the church is subject to Christ, and after all, his topic has already been about being in subjection. Look back at verse 21. Who is to be subject to one another? Who am I to subject myself to? Verse 21. In the context of the church, this shouldn't be a new concept to us, should it? We submit or subject ourselves to one another. Verse 21. So this should not be a new concept. But what does that idea mean? It means to subordinate, to obey, to yield to another. And I like this phrase here, place oneself under another. And that's the idea we saw in verse 21, right? Where we are, we submit ourselves to our brother. We place ourselves, as it were, under our brother. We, it's a humbling type process. So we adopt that same idea. God says in the marriage, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's a very, very high bar to attain to, is it not? Think about the relationship to the Lord. And all throughout this passage, he's going to present the idea of, the, of Christ subject to the church and compare that to the wife and, and the husband relationship. And no one but the Holy Spirit could talk about two different things at one time and cover them both so completely and so profoundly. But he does here. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, this adverbial phrase or clause that qualifies what type of submitting are you talking about? Just what do you mean by submit? He says, submit as you would to the Lord. Now, I ask you, is that a popular concept today? And if you answer no, you understand that our culture is, teaches young women from birth and very young age to be aggressive and assertive and go for your career and whatever that, you know, present yourself, exert yourself. That's what our culture teaches. And so it's no surprise when we look at the marriage that there's problems in marriages because this does not occur. Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Again, verse 22, as unto the Lord. Now, if we have problems understanding that, let's look at verse 23. He presents this idea to us. Use this comparison, if you will. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, 
being himself the Savior of the body. So if you have trouble understanding exactly what that means, he says, look at the church. As the church is subject to Christ, so ought wives. You complete the rest of that. See the comparison? I didn't dream this up. I'm simply reading the Bible. For the husband is head of the wife. He's giving us a law that the husband is head of the wife. And sometimes, quite honestly, I'll interject this. Sometimes it's not too easy being the head. A lot of times you have to be the bad guy. You know, a lot of times you have to, to make a decision or a direction that's very hard to do. For the husband, he says, is the head of the wife. That's God speaking. He says, this is my law. This is the way it works. This is the architect speaking. Whether I like it or not, whether our society likes it or not, whether our culture likes it or not, that's the way God designed it. The husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, as Christ is the head of the church. So there's a comparison here. Verse 22 says, as unto the Lord. What does that mean? Verse 23 explains it quite well. We don't have to look very far. All we have to look to is only as far as our relationship that we, we understand of Christ and the church. We understand that, don't we? We all understand that. Now, let's apply that to the marriage relationship. Well, what else does he have to say? He says, submit as unto the Lord. Verse 24 says, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. Does that mean I have to obey my husband when he's telling me something that is against the word of God? Well, no. I think Colossians 3 verse 18 would speak to that where he uses the phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. I think he qualifies this statement there by saying, whatever you're doing has to be done in accordance with God's law, God's will. Colossians 3.18, as is fitting in the Lord. And also we would understand that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, we're to be, he's told there that wives are be in subjection to their husbands even if they are not members of the body of Christ. He doesn't say that they would obey them, even if they tell them not to go to Bible study or worship service or not to do something that is good or to do something contrary to the law of God. But as we go back to Ephesians 5, 24, he says, let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. You know, there's lots of things that you could come up with that it's easy to be in submission to your husband about, isn't it? It's, it's easy because, why? Because you agree. But what about those times when you don't agree? But as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. You won't hear this read on the evening news. You won't see this on the front page of the Fox News Channel website, Newsmax website, 
whatever website you look at. You won't see this, these ideas promoted there. It's all too foreign to them today. And perhaps all too foreign in churches across this country. One more command he gives to the women, to the wives. Let's go all the way down to verse 33. Beginning of verse 25, he speaks to the husbands and all the way down through verse 32. In verse 33, he ends this passage or this paragraph by stating one more thing he wants the women to remember. Nevertheless, do you severally love each one his own wife, talking to the husbands, and let the wife see that she fear her husband or reverence her husband. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. I like the New American Standard version of this that takes it to the idea she must see to it that she respects her husband. So the idea of fear and reverence, what does that concept mean? To reverence is to treat with reverence, treat with the respect for their unique role. Consider the roles and the responsibilities that your husband has. Understanding those, have respect and reverence for the job that he has to do. I'm not talking about his career much, so much as the responsibilities that the husband has in the home. Have respect so God tells us here through the Holy Spirit, there's two main things I want you to remember in a marriage. You wives are to submit to the husbands and to have fear or respect, reverence to them. Pretty simple, aren't they? Number one, submit. Number two, have respect unto them. Now let's consider what we spoke about a moment ago. What about when you don't quite agree, do you submit only when you're in agreement? Do you submit only when you can separate yourself from the dilemma or the crisis and say, well, I'm just going to let him do this on his own? I'm going to leave him out here on an island, as it were, and let him handle it by himself. That's not the idea, is it? Or I'm going to step away from this issue, and I know it's going to come back around and make me look good. If I separate myself, is that the idea? No. Consider for a moment if... if the ideas presented here, submitting and reverence, are done in such a way where the wife says, okay, I don't quite agree with what your direction is, but I'm going to support you. I'm going to respect you for the job that you have to do that God's given you. I'm going to respect your role. And what beauty it is when a wife stands behind and supports 
even when it's difficult. Isn't that what we're told in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he tells us, if you recall, submit to the authorities and the government, submit to your bosses at work? Isn't that the idea? And he even talked about Christ in that chapter. At the end of the chapter, said it was difficult for Christ to do, submit to these people that were killing him, but he did it anyway. How beautiful it is when a woman submits and reverences her husband's role, even when it doesn't quite mesh with what she thinks. But yet she supports him in that. It's beautiful when that happens, when that occurs. That's why God designed marriage the way he did. You begin to see this? And if you begin to see why these particular commands are brought out. So she can, you, you see the idea is sometimes we can say we're submitting, but we're doing it in, in a way that's not supportive. But when we submit and we support and we say, well, okay, this is why I'm going to support you. You see how much more impact that has? Now, wives, I want you to consider one, whoops, let me uh, let you consider one other thing here in regard to this. Believe it or not, your husband, beyond or behind that macho man exterior, behind that presence that he seems to put forth, that is impervious to anything that might hit him. No matter how bulletproof he may act, there's a nagging question that your husband has that you can answer by your behavior that we've seen here and by other ways. There's a nagging question that your husband has that you are made particularly suitable for. Why as you answer the husband's question? Am I adequate? Am I capable? Some of you men may be looking at this and thinking, well, I've never thought about that before. But I ask you to consider it. Think about it for a few days. I think you'll begin to realize that many times we have that nagging question in our mind, that nagging question, am I capable? Am I adequate? And the wife is really uniquely suited to help us say, yes, you are. Support us in that. One additional thing I would say to you as well along this line is don't treat your husband as you would like to be treated. Let me say that again. Don't treat your husband as you would like to be treated. You remember at the beginning we talked about male and female. God has made woman uniquely different than a man. God has made man uniquely different than the woman. So don't treat him as you would like to be treated. I'm not going against Matthew 7 verse 12, which says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not going against that at all. But that's to understand that you have to see that 
your husband has particular needs that are uniquely different than your needs. So don't treat your husband as you would like to be treated. Treat him as he, a different gender, a different person would like to be treated. Now let's turn our attention to the husbands. I know you wives have been waiting for this part. In verse 25, he turns his attention to the husband. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. What a high bar to attain. Husbands, love your wives as, there's that big, probably the biggest word in this particular passage, A-S, as. So we can love, can't we? But when we love as Christ loved the church, that's a different matter, isn't it? That's altogether a different matter. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Now we've got to go back and understand, again, that relationship of the church to Christ. Husbands, love as Christ loved the church. What kind of love is this? Well, this is the word agapio. Maybe you've studied that in the past, but this is the deepest love. This is the sacrificial kind of love. This is the love that looks for the welfare of another and does what is best for that other. It's what some have called active goodwill. You, you wishing goodwill, well, you do something active to make sure it happens. Sacrificial love seeking the best interest of another. What a high bar to attain to, men. You thought I was picking on the women? This is difficult. Love, I repeat, as Christ loved the church. What about when my wife is not quite so lovable? What about when situations are just not quite good? Love as Christ loved the church. He didn't say these commands that are given to us are easy. That's why we talked about in the beginning home maintenance. It's continual. Continual. It never, ever stops and the moment we stop, the moment we put it in cruise control is the moment we're really going backward. Now, what exactly does this mean, verse 25? Well, it continues by saying that he might sanctify it, the church, talking about what Christ did. If I can't understand this concept of love, he goes on to explain it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it, that it might be holy and without blemish. The sacrificial love that gave himself up 
for the church. Now, as I look at myself, when was the last time that I feel like I gave myself up for my wife? You answer that with me, men. When was the last time you felt like you truly gave yourself up for your wife? Now, yet another. Two major commands also he has for the husbands as he did the wives. Verse 28, he said, Even so, ought husbands to love their own wives as their own bodies. A little bit different type of command. It may sound the same as the previous one, but verse 28, I like to highlight, is really completely different. Ought husbands to love their own wives as their own bodies. He says in verse 28, He that loveth his own wife loveth himself. Now, I want you to connect the last part of verse 28, as their own bodies, connect that phrase to the last phrase in verse 31, the two shall become one flesh. Make that connection, because I think that's where he's headed here. You love your wife as your own body, because after all, you are supposed to be one flesh, aren't you? And if you're one flesh, doesn't it stand to reason that you treat her as your flesh? Beautiful picture. Verse 29, he says, No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ, also the church. Because we are members of his body. What does that idea mean in, in practical terms? Love as your own body. My wording here is that it, you're continually aware and you continually attend to her needs. Does Christ do that for the church? Did he do that for the church? Yes, indeed. Are you continually aware when you need to eat? When you drop something on your foot and it hurts? When you, something happens to your body and you have a stomach ache, are you aware of that? Are you aware that you need to do something? You see the connection? Be Love your wives as your own body. Just like something would nag at you, tell you that you need medicine or help or something, you need to do something. We do that for our wives because... We are one flesh, one body, one flesh. You understand? We love them as our own bodies because we are one after all. Now, men, do we love and do we extend that love and manifest that love? <clears throat> Only when she's being lovable, only when she's done something for me, only when whatever. Is that the time that we love, we, we respond? Is that the type of love we have? It's a reciprocal or re responsive love. Whenever she's being loving to me or whenever she's done something for me, then I respond with love. That's not what he says here, is it? That is not what he says. 
You're continually aware and you attend to her needs. You might say you anticipate those needs even, what they are, what they might be. You anticipate your own needs, don't you? Translate that to your wife. Think about those needs that she might have as well. Now, <clears throat> husbands, there's a nagging question that your wives also have. The day that you got married, you said, I do, and you said, I love you, and you went on about your way. And no matter how much time has passed, your wife continually has a problem or has a question in the back of her mind that, that am I lovable? Am I loved? Am I his priority? That's a nagging question that you may think, you may say, well, of course I love you. You tell your wife, of course I love you. Well, don't think you're finished because tomorrow you will need to tell her again. And the next day, and the next day, because this question never goes away in the woman's mind. It's always there. Am I loved? Am I lovable? Am I his priority? See, that question is different than the man's, quite different than the man's question. The man is saying, am I adequate and capable of doing whatever? And the wife is over here saying, am I loved? Am I lovable? And isn't it interesting that Ephesians 5 points out two commands for the husband that are both centering on the aspect of love. Isn't that interesting? You know, wives, <clears throat> women are good at this. Women emanate love, and it's easy for them to, to manifest love in so many ways. It's easy. It just comes so easy. But for us men, that's not quite that easy, is it? It comes a little bit harder. That's why we have to respond, he says here, verse 25 and 28, Husbands, you make sure you love her as Christ loved the church. Make sure you love her as your own body. And answer that question. You know, for each of us, we need to understand that we are really the conduit. If God wants to bless your wife or husband, if God wants to bless your wife with blessings, you are the conduit through which those blessings come. Give her the things that she needs. And don't treat her like you would one of your fishing buddies either. Don't treat her that way. Treat her with the unique role and the responsibilities that she has in the unique way that compensates for the way that she is made uniquely by God, the creator, the designer, and the architect of marriage. She has a different role, and together you complement one another in a unique union that is brought together by God in a, such a beautiful way to help one another, to help one another. <coughs> now, let me... Take this in a little bit different direction. 
there are some priorities that we, as we come together in a marriage relationship, we need to have as our priorities. <clears throat> I call these essentials for a good marriage. Very simple, not very revolutionary thinking at all. Very simple, but all too, all too often neglected by many of us. Essentials for a good marriage, time together. You've often heard it said that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, I tend to disagree when it comes to marriage because absence does not make the heart grow fonder in a marriage. I put here as number one as an essential for marriage is time. Time together. It doesn't mean you have to have exactly the same hobbies. It doesn't mean you have to like exactly the same thing. But you must have time. And, and many years ago, there was the catchphrase, quality time. Well, let's take that out too. In this context, there is no such thing as quality time. There is time together. Time together. You know, all too often, we go about our daily lives, and the husband and wife really don't sit down and talk maybe much more than 15 minutes a day sometimes. And that's sad. If we really think about how much time we sit down and we talk to one another, how, much, how many minutes a day do you think it is? Time together and time daily together. It's mandatory for an essential, uh, or an essential for a good marriage. Number two is Bible study and prayer. And again, I will add daily. Before you marry, sit out and study the Bible with your soon-to-be wife or husband. Sit out and study the Bible with her and pray together. After you're married, sit down every day and have a Bible study and prayer together. Before you have children, after you have children, Sit out every day and have a Bible study and prayer together. After the children are grown and out of the house, sit out every day and have a Bible study and prayer together. See, this is not revolutionary, is it? It's pretty simple. This is essential for a good marriage. Daily. And I would add, too, that you might consider the Bible study to be a structured thing where you don't just open up a passage of Scripture and just by accident open up something and study it. Have a structured Bible study. Number three, assume the best. When difficulty comes, when trials come, when a crisis occurs... All too often, we revert back and we say, well, why are you doing this? 
And she's saying, why are you acting this way? And we assume the worst, don't we? And we assume the worst in another's actions. Why do we do that? You know, this gets at the heart of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, speaks to this idea. Assume the best. Look for the best in their motives. Whatever they're doing that you can't understand, look for the best in their motives. Assume the best. That's all too often the place where marriages derail here is when a crisis comes, and it does, and one or another or both assume the worst. Assume the best. Look for the best. It may take a little time for you to understand, but look for the worst, or look for the best in her actions. And why have you looked for the best in his actions? May God help us to have godly marriages. Again, I want to focus on the phrase we began with in Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and be cemented together, and they too, remember this is two uniquely made people by God for unique roles that God brings into a union. May God help us be that. We want to turn our attention to those tonight that need to render obedience to the gospel. Are you ready for the judgment day? If you're not, we want to encourage you in just a moment in a song to consider your standing before God to consider whether you have done what you need to do to make ready for that day. Have you been baptized into Christ and washed away your sins, become a member of the body of Christ, a member of that church that we talked about tonight? And you can have that relationship with Christ that all those do in the church, that he gave himself up for you, and he loved you so much that he gave his blood for you. Are you ready tonight to respond in obedience and in baptism? And if you've done that in the past, and if you've fallen away and you need to come back to the fold of God, consider your standing before God, and are you ready for the judgment? Consider that thought as we stand and while we sing.